This week, I was thinking about a few things, and sometimes I, when I think about Sunday and coming to you, I will get this feeling like a kid in a candy shop, like I want to go here and I want to go there. It's like a dog chasing after a car. What he's going to do with it when he finds, you know, when he actually catches it, he doesn't know, but I got to get, I got to go after it. So that's kind of how I felt this week when wanting to give you a word and feeling in so many different directions what God is saying. And so um, I was thinking this story kept coming to me long time ago, honey, I didn't tell you I was going to bring this up, but um, long time ago, uh, this had to be close to 30 years ago and we just entered ministry and, um, and we're young and, and, and so, you know, we we're trying to, um, ministry wasn't paying me as much as my job did and her job. And so she had quit her job because my son was just born and I wanted to be a stay at home mom. And there weren't a lot of, uh, children daycares in, in those days, at least where we were, and I didn't trust them. And so I just was like, um, you're going to stay at home. And so we were just really trusting God. That was, uh, at the time, she was making more money than I was. Hallelujah. And so um, I picked up a few more hours and whatnot. And, but we were doing ministry too. So I was doing lay ministry. And then, then we had our son. And then um, we went into full-time ministry. He was born in 90. We went full-time ministry in 91. And I took a pay cut from there. I didn't complain. I didn't tell anybody that I took a pay cut. I just was trusting the Lord. We were both doing that. And I can tell you, that we were all, we've always been givers and we've always said, God, we're going to, and, and we did, we're going to, we're going to dedicate even more to you beyond our 10%. And you know, God met our need. He met our need every single month. It was amazing. Our kids would, people would come with just bags of clothes for our kids. They didn't even know, Hey, my son outgrew this and, and, or my, when my daughter's born, the same thing and, and be nice stuff, you know, nice name brand stuff. And so uh, we, we were always blessed. And, but, you know, when things are tight and, you know, you're working from one miracle to the next, you know, an extra bill in the mail is not always a fun thing. Amen. And so uh, we had found out the, the government, if you remember this, the government uh, gave us a letter saying that we owed taxes, back taxes from the year before that we did not pay. And it was in, an, if I remember, it was like in the neighborhood of five or 600 bucks. Now, Back then, 30 years ago, close to that, you know, that's probably about double. So it'd be a $1,200 bill for somebody who's making not that much money, right, with a small family. And so I'm thinking, oh, no. And I, I, I looked at her and I said, you know, I don't, I know we did the right thing. We paid, we had taxes, da, 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 but they're saying that we owed this. And, you know, I don't have a lawyer to go through all the, and I can't, I can't afford a lawyer. So I said, we're going to pray and we're going to believe God. I'm going to get on the phone and make a phone call and we're going to just believe God for some favor here. And we're just, just naive and just didn't know any better that, you know, basically fighting the government's like fighting city hall. You're not going to, you don't win. You know, it's like, you know, they're always going to come up with something else or they put you in such a long waiting period that, and they still want the money, you know? So it was a long shot, but we didn't feel that way. We felt that God honored us. He loved us. We've honored him. And uh, we were looking for something. We were looking for a breakthrough for a turnaround. And so, um, and so we pray, we believe God. And I, I remember getting on the phone, uh, contacting these people and, and we, we, they said, well, you know, you, you owe us the money, da, 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 da. And I went back and forth and said, but if you look at this line, look at that line, I'm trying to get them to see what we did. And uh, they said, well, you, you know, we're, and they kept saying, well, I, you know, you'd have to talk to somebody. So we kept, ta- you know, you talked to three or four different people and it literally looked like nothing was done. 
And so I didn't have any money, so they didn't get anything right off the bat. I didn't pay anything to them. About, I would say, about a month later, maybe three weeks later, we believe in God. And about three weeks later, uh, we received a letter in the mail. No phone call, no contact. Just a letter in the mail. And the letter in the mail um, was from the IRS. And it said, we found an error in what we, we sent you, whatever the date was. They gave us a date. And um, we see that, yes, you did pay enough taxes in. Now, this wasn't somebody saying because you contacted us. It wasn't anything to do with that. We found an error. Error, and we we see now. We just, the government does that. That's a pretty big deal. And so, and he's and they said, and so we see that you don't owe us that money. In fact, and then in the, in the next, like if you, if you turn the page, was connected a check for about seven hundred and fifty bucks that they ended up owing us. Somebody say amen. And I'm just here to tell you, I don't know about you, but I know something about the government. If, if we never fought that and believed God for that, we would have not have ever found that. That would have been the end of that. What's that? Yes. Yeah, I remember a month later happened what? Oh, that's right. So a month later, they sent another check. How much was it? Do you remember? That's right. My wife could tell the story better than I can. So she said they sent us another 750 bucks. I forgot about that. And we tried to call them to give it back. They said, well, we don't know what to tell you. Just keep the money. I mean, that's all we can tell you. Our records show we owe it. I said, okay. Cha-ching. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, somebody. Let me just say that the Bible says that when the thief has been found, he's got to repay up to seven times. Come on, church. And this isn't a time just for redemption. It's a time for restitution. It's a time for payback. And I pronounce this over you in the name of Jesus that everything's been missing, everything's been lost, everything's been stolen. It's coming back seven times greater in your life. Somebody shout, yeah. Hallelujah. And the title of my message this morning is Turn it around. It's time for a divine reversal. I said it's time for a divine reversal. Father, in the holy name of Jesus Christ, bless this time, bless the seed of your word, I pray. Let it go forth in us, Lord God, like a firebrand until it changes us, Lord God. Stirs us up, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, until we're not the same people we were when we walked in those back doors. And we give you praise and glory for it. Somebody shout yes. yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. On Thursday night, Thursday night, we had our prayer time, prayer gathering. People came from everywhere, and we were praying. And some of you might have been watching online. And I will say that if you're at all, if it is all possible 
to be here in prayer nights. You're not working. You know, I know everybody gets tired after work, but come to church, come to Thursday night when we have our prayer times and, and all of that. And, um, and I tell you, you'll be blessed. And so we had a great time. It was very prophetic and very profound. I felt a shift happen. And one of the things that God spoke to me during the day and I shared with everybody on Thursday night was that I believe that we're, you know, I've been prophesying this for about a year and a half, maybe two years about there's, this is a time of exposure that God's beginning to expose the things that have harmed uh, us for so long and that needs to be exposed, that needs to come out of, out from, out of the darkness. And, and then also, uh, also a time of judgment. And I read out of, uh, um, I believe it was Psalms chapter 94, um, and Psalms has a lot of prayers in it by David and others, another man named Asaph. And they, they bring forth prayers, and they're called imprecatory prayers. Not all of them, but imprecatory prayers are prayers of judgment or the person that was singing that song or writing that, uh, that uh, psalm, they were, um, they were prophetic and they were making prophetic pronouncements that were pronouncements of God's judgment on the scene over evil ills and injustice and if we've ever seen a time in america and even around the world but we live here this is our backyard so i'm gonna talk about this not so much all of it today but i just want to bring it to your attention we we live in a time of evil ills and injustice and it is it's it's high time that god begins to do something like you catch somebody in a high place of authority and some sort of crime and somehow they skate by because of their fame or because of the money that they have and there's no justice being done. I see in the realm of the spirit, if I can prophesy this morning, that God's about to bring judgment and because of the exposure, it's gonna be so great that judgment is coming and people are going to go down and, and we should pray for them. We're, they're, not, they're not our enemies, flesh, flesh and blood's not our enemy, principalities and powers are rulers of darkness, but because they've allowed the spirit of evil to enter through their life and hurt God's people, hurt the church, hurt the American people, hurt the people of the world, God has had enough and judgment is coming. Now, with that good news, judgment also can swing back into the house of God because the Bible says first judgment comes to the house of God so that we have to be ready. We got to get things out of our life that are not right. Amen, somebody. And we have to make sure that, that we're, we're living a life that's righteous and pleasing to the Lord. I'll talk maybe about that in a minute. But my point to you in bringing that up is that also with God's judgment comes the hand of blessing. So when you seek judgment, you will also see the blessing of God. So you see the worst of things, and then you see the best of things, and that's usually how God works. Even in the New Testament, when, when Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God, it's at hand, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand, there, everywhere he went, and then the apostles after him brought either riot or revival. Sometimes it was both. The same city that was rioting was the same city that had the revival. So these things can be messy, but they are necessary. Amen. Because God is bringing that exposure, and he's also... Turning things around. I saw some man said just recently this week, I don't remember, it might have been Johnny Enlow, somebody I was listening to, and, the, and basically the mighty will be, will be nothing and the nothing will become mighty. In other words, there are people that are going to rise up to the ranks that nobody's ever heard of before in these next five, ten years, and, and they're going to become very mighty. And then the people who have been in charge for a long time are going to be found out there's a lot of things wrong. Now, not for you to be paranoid. That everybody that's in a high position is doing wrong because that's not true. But the ones that are, are going to be exposed and judged and they are coming down. So it's called a turnaround. And God's during a turnaround because he's having, I would say pity, the Bible calls it pity, but sympathy. 
or empathy with the people that have cried out and said, enough is enough. What's, what, what's going on here that I can never get ahead? Everybody else does, and my livelihood and my life is going down, down, down. God wants to turn that around. Everybody say, it's time for turnaround. How many has ever heard of the, uh, a man named Mordecai? Mordecai was a Jewish leader. He might have been even a politician in his, his life at, at that time. And they, him and the Jewish people had been taken captive. Now, the king, Azasuerus, was, 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 was uh, ruler of the land, of course. Uh, he did not have really ill will toward them, probably wanted to make them slaves, but didn't want to, to annihilate them or genocide or cause that you know, massive death. But there are people on his staff that were near him that were racist and they were anti-Semites and they were against the Jewish people and they wanted them to be completely taken off the face of the earth. Hated, hated, hated them. I'll get to preaching. Just let me do some teaching for just a second. And so, and so it, was a, it, was a, it was a terrible time because now they're taken captive. They're out of Jerusalem, out of their homeland, and they're living, living, uh, living like prisoners, okay? Uh, and, and now they have an enemy within the court that is trying to take them out, completely take them out. And one of the men that led that whole expedition was a man named Haman. And Haman was a right-hand man to the king and always had his ear and always had his attention, so he's always putting these anti-Semite remarks and things about the Jews and particular people in the ear of the king. It's starting to change him. It's starting to get him riled up a little bit about these people, even though he had nothing personal against them. But, but the fact that remained was that, was that he, um, Haman, uh, he, he was a, a man that was seeking opportunity, always seeking an opportunity uh, to become greater. And, and more famous. And so he one day was promoted because of his seeking of opportunity. And, um, and as a result of, the, of his promotion, people that saw Haman would bow down uh, to the ground as if, this, as if in, in an honoring position, uh, 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 saying, we honor you because of your promotion. Everybody would bow down, even the Jews when they saw him would bow down except for one man by the name of Mordecai. He would not bow down. Haman hated Mordecai as a result of that. In the meantime, what would happen is that Mordecai had uh, a, 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 um, uh, a family member that was actually in the courts of the king. She was beautiful by the name of Esther. He actually marries Esther. She's now Queen Esther. She's one of others, but she's, now she's a part of the inner sanctum of the king. And so she also has, you got Haman maybe in the right ear, but you got Queen Esther in the left ear of the king. And so the queen was very obviously calculated because she couldn't just say what she wanted to, especially being a woman in those days, very difficult. So she always watched what she said. And so she was always putting good things about her people because she was a Jew in the ear of the king. Mordecai being one of the family members in particular, Mordecai wouldn't bow down. So what happened was Haman decides, uh, let me just get through the story. Haman decides he's going to now put in the ear of the king that anybody doesn't bow down to him uh, should be hung because they're being disrespectful to the wishes of the king. This appealed to the king and they built the highest gallows they'd ever built in the land to hang any man. And they're building this thing. So that right there is already bringing some sort of... Um, pressure and intimidation on people knowing you will die in those gallows if you don't bow, if you don't bend. Mordecai wouldn't do it. He was not going to do it. And so they built these things. And, and long story short is that the day came 
and uh, Mordecai was actually speaking well of the king. And somebody had, had wrote that down, that Mordecai had the back of the king. One night when the king got up and he read some of, the, some of the things he couldn't sleep, and he read, and he read a line where this man, Jewish man named Mordecai had the back of the king and said good things about him. There was a plot to kill him, and he said, we cannot do this. You cannot, he's the king. You can't do this. He realized his life was spared by this man, but did not know he was related to Esther. I'm going somewhere with this. So now then, you got, you got a plot now from Haman that's trying to kill Mordecai. Mordecai is just going to answer to God and do what God says. By the way, that's what you have to do in this life and in this culture. Somebody say amen. And so won't bow down. And so he says, uh, he says therefore, he said, uh, uh, um, the king says, I want to I I know about this man. In the meantime, Haman's talking about a man that won't bow down that needs to die. The king doesn't know the name. He says, put that man to death. He said, the, the queen comes in and says, wait a second, that man's one of my family members. He's had your back. His name's Mordecai. Says, I read about Mordecai. See, God always has a way to put the people that you need in your life to network with you at the right time. Someone say amen. You ain't even got to fight for yourself. I said, God will fight for you. I said, God will turn it around for you. So now here he is, here he is, and he's expecting to die because of the gallows. But then the king, but nobody knew, already read about Mordecai and was going to spare his life. And she said, it was Haman that put you up to this. It was Haman that did this and manipulated you. They had those gallows built for him. He said, Haman did this? He said, let Haman hang and die on the very gallows he built. I'm here to tell you that's exactly what's happening in this day and hour. The very pit that they dug for you to fall in, the very gallows they built for you to hang on, God's about to say, your enemy will hang from the very thing that he thought he had you trapped on. Can somebody shout, yeah! I still can't get some of y'all to smile, not even, crack, not even crack a smile. I'm here to tell you that God is about to vindicate you because he loves you and you're his child and he's heard your prayer. And church, what the devil meant for evil, God means for your good. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, it's the Lord God that will raise up a standard against him. And if my God before you, who can be against you? Somebody shout, yeah! Shout, I win! You may be seated. Hallelujah. On last Sunday... I was talking about can your dream live? You can tie this all together. I can't help it. It's like the Spirit of God's causing me to tie it together. And I gave the story about Abraham, but let me just share something with you. Because Abraham was the only son of Isaac. So I, I related it to the dream that God gives you. You get a dream from God, it's one dream. It's one dream. And this dream is special, or this desire, this your future, whatever it may be, God's promise to you and God's promise to me. And it's very special. And the last thing you want to hear is for God to tell you to sabotage the very dream or kill the very dream that he gave you. How hard that must have been for Abraham 
to hear the words, take your son, your only son, and take him to Mount Moriah, and there I would like you to sacrifice him. No, not I would like you, sacrifice him for me there. And the Bible does not record anywhere where Abraham tries to talk him out of it. He'd heard the voice of God. But what's interesting, the Bible indicates and gives us these clues along the way is his heart. Because in the meantime, he, God spoke that to him so he knew he couldn't just get out of it. He's now, and he, he's called the father of faith for a reason. He's now on a journey of faith going, I know this God. I don't know what he's up to but I know he does not lie. And I know he doesn't take back what he promises. And I'm not going to argue with him, but if he asks me to do it, I'm going to do it. And we know that he does this by faith because when he's journeying, journeying with his, uh, his servants that were with him and they had the donkeys and the horses and everything and they had Isaac was with him, we know that he said, I and the lad, he speaks to the servants, are going to go yonder to worship God at Mount Moriah. You stay here and I and the lad shall return. In other words, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know. This is what I feel. Now, you can say what you want. Uh, you can think how what you want. But I, I see God in this because I see him in the scripture. And I, be, I believe I can feel the heartbeat of Abraham in this story. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you are going to do it. Because you're not a man that you should lie or the son of man that you should repent. So if you've ever given a promise, you are the ultimate promise keeper because it's impossible for you to lie. So I am expecting something. Everybody say expect. Turn to your neighbor and say expect it. Now my faith is kicking in because it looks like all hell is up against me. My faith is kicking in because it looks like that I'm living in a contradictory moment of time where I had the promise and now it's slipping through my hands. It looks like that even I'm the one that's going to be the one to sabotage. Have you ever felt like you sabotage your own future? Because of something you said or did? What did I do so bad to God that he's now telling me I got to let go what he promised me? But I know this God, in spite of me, he's going to keep his word true. So everything that he did was a faith journey. Everybody say it was a faith journey. Or it was a faith walk. And I've done this before, but let me just do this again. I believe with all my heart, because when he got to the top of that mountain, when he got to the top of that mountain, and he laid his son on there, and he bound him to the, 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 to the altar, and he took out the, 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 the knife out of his sheath to plunge it into his son, that was right then when the angel of God says, stop, you've obeyed God, it was never God's intention, this has been your faith journey, he said, now look over there, and there is a ram that's caught in, by its horns in the thicket. Somebody say Amen. I want to preach up in here. And that's where God said, I'm Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh means, watch this, it means my provision shall be revealed. Just because you couldn't see it doesn't mean it wasn't there the whole time. Your provision. Come on. This God's already provided everything you need.
but it's going to require your faith, uh, your walk of faith to get the provision. I don't care what it looks like. It may look like it's going backwards, but I got to tell you this day, today, I stand flat-footed as a preacher to let you know God has already provided. Hey! Watch this. And everywhere he planted his foot, he took a step on top of Mount Raya. If he took two steps on top of Mount Raya, it was his faith and operation. He didn't know it, but every time he took a step, that ram took a step. If he took two steps, the ram took two steps. If he took three steps, the ram took three steps. Every step he took, the ram took a step and met him at the point of his need. Somebody shout! And church, there's a turnaround getting ready to happen for you. I prophesy there's a divine reversal getting ready to happen for you. What looked like the end has now become the beginning. What feels like it's over now gains new life. I declare over you that your story isn't over. God's not writing a book about you. He's writing an entire series about you. Come on, come on, come on. In fact, in fact, if you got a book inside of you, you feel like God wants you to write a book, stand up, stand up. I feel the presence of God, stand up. You got a book inside of you, stand up. Father, every means they need, all the money they gotta have, all the connections they gotta have. I thank you, Lord God, that's coming into their life, and I command all the fear and intimidation and feeling like they ain't got nothing to say, be broken! So they can tell their story in the name of Jesus Christ. Woo! You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, when you write that book and sell it, tithes and offerings belong to faith builders. Amen. I'm also reminded there were three Hebrew young men by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that wasn't their God-given names. And I've done a study on that. I could have brought that out today, but I'll just say this. That, that wasn't their God-given name, but that was, that was their name, their Babylonian names. They were renamed. You know, it's like, the, it's like the enemy's always trying, the world is a Babylonian system, and the world's always trying to label you something that God birthed you. You, you weren't created to be that. Can I just say something real quick? All this sexual stuff, it's like it's gotten to a fever pitch. People are so addicted and 
it's just craziness, it's craziness. But if you really get down to it, I'm, the Holy Spirit's just prompting me to do this right now. If you really get down to it, it's just, it really, it really is animalistic. It's not even who you really are. And now it's become such a part of your personality that you feel it's you. Like as if you got to feed yourself food. You know, you can live without sex. You can actually live without it. My wife don't need to hear that. Yes, you can. You can live without sex. But hey, the women are just as much involved in the sexual uh, misbehavior as anybody else these days. It's out of control. And our young people, our poor children, and I'm not going to get a soapbox today, but that's another time for that. But our poor children, as we're praying for these kids, I have to come against that spirit because it's so pervasive in our world. These kids are so mixed up today. They don't know what gender they're supposed to be. They don't know if they're trans, bi, homosexual, straight. And we got schools out there putting pornographic material and cartoon form with our six-year-olds. What have people, what are they thinking? It's like it's demonic. And we sit and we patty cake and we play game, religious games and we just go to church and be nice, don't say nothing because we're Christians. We don't want to get mad at nobody. At some point, you got to get a righteous indignation in you. And if you are a public, you have a public school child uh, in your home, you need to be more engaged in what's going on because they are teaching your children absolute demonic things that's destroying their lives. I didn't want to get on my soapbox, but I'm going to say that much right there. And ba the Babylonian system was the same way. It was out to change everybody. They infect the people. And so they went and they actually captured, they actually took over Jerusalem and they captured, not everybody, but they captured the most prized people. The ones that are scientists, they're poets, they're, they're, they're art, artists and the people that was meaningful, that they felt were meaningful, right? Not just labor. And they brought them in and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel was a part of that team. But the Bible talks about the fact that there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar in the land and King Nebuchadnezzar had an eagle the size of a mountain and they said, it'd be good for us to erect a statue to you uh, all in gold, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, that the people, when we play three times a, a day, will play uh, the harp or our string instruments and music, the people will be, it'll be, it'll be their signal to bow down and worship your image. Oh, he said, that's a great idea. So they built this massive uh, idol and the, and the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, everybody, time, time of music, after it was built, built erected, uh, they, they would bow down and they would pay their homage and they would worship this, this image of Nebuchadnezzar, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, there were men, once again, they were tied in to the council of the king during those days and they hated Shadrach, Me uh, uh, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego so badly anyways, and when they found that they would not bow, they said, What's, they said, we won't bow. We only bow to, to Jehovah. We only bow to the living God. We'll never bow to man. They said, okay. They went and they had uh, Nebuchadnezzar sign papers saying that anybody who does not bow to this image will be burned, burned alive in a special furnace that they built for just those people. So it was this big furnace and, and we will burn them alive. We'll make, a, we'll make it like a public spectacle of it and everybody can come and see this whole event and it'll intimidate them and people bow. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not be intimidated. So what happened was, the Bible says that they found them. Uh, people are always looking to find you in your, your, not your sin, but find you in your wrongdoing so that they can tell on you. Come on, somebody. 
And so they, they did. And of course, they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and King Nebuchadnezzar was infuriated. How dare they? After all I've done for them. Yeah, you took them as a slave, all you've done for them. I didn't kill them, did I? I mean, that's what he's thinking. He's saying, so, well, so I can't believe. So he says, he said, crank the furnace up. He said, but now then, crank it up seven times hotter than it's ever been. So they're, they're cranking this thing up seven times hotter. Now, the first hotter will kill you. I don't know what seven times hotter does, but the first one will kill you. But the Bible says that they cranked it up seven times hotter. And I believe it was a sign of intimidation. We're going to kill you, kill you. We're going to kill you dead, right? So they threw them in and the men who threw them in were burned alive. These men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they bound them. So now they're on the ground trying to stand up, right? And they're in the fire and everybody's watching them in the fire. But the problem is they're not getting burned. And the Bible says they're walking around bound up in the fire. You know, the Bible continues to say that the only thing that got burned on them boys were the binds or the bands that had them bound. Come on, somebody. You might feel like you're in the fire right now, but it's not for your destruction. It's not for your demise. It's not to burn that one hair on your head. It's to break the power of bondage you've been under. Jesus. And then they looked inside and they said, King, I don't know what to say. You need to look inside there. Because I thought we threw three men in there. The king said, yeah, we did. He said, look again. And the king looks again. He said, there's Shadrach. There's Meshach. There's a bungalow, Abednego, to bed we go. But now then, there's a fourth one in the fire. And he ain't getting burned either. And he looks like the son of God. Are you ready to walk by faith? Are you ready to walk by faith? Even if it takes you in the fire, your Jesus is going to show up in the midst of your fire. And everything is about to be turned around. Woo! Free as God, free as God, lose our bounds, take us there, oh God. They came up by that fire, and Nebuchadnezzar said, Boys, I don't know what to say, but your God is more powerful than my statue. And he gave every one of them a position of authority. 
Who's ready to get promoted? Who's ready to go to the next level? Who's ready for turnaround? Let it turn! Let it turn! Church, I may end up, I may end up in a flaming, fiery furnace of trouble or circumstances, but I will not bow my knee to the cancel culture of this day. I bow my knee only to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his word. And we need to change the culture of our day and say we ain't gonna bow down. You can try to intimidate us. You can try to shut us down, but we're staying true. To the word of God. We need the people of God to stand up, cry out, and spare not. We need a people that are prepared to be inconvenienced for the Lord God Almighty. We need to be, have a people that's prepared to be, have rocks thrown at us and be disdained. And everybody think that we're the scum of the earth, but we ain't bowing down. I'm losing the claps. You can be seated. Church, it's so easy just to bow down and give in to the culture. I am so disheartened by some of the things that I hear and read about about my fellow, fellow brothers and sisters who lead in the body of Christ, pastors and things of that nature that are bowing down to the culture. Since when? See, we are the peculiar people. We are, the cult, we are to be the counterculture of our day. And I've stood here for 22 years in this city and said, we're not gonna bow down and we're not about to now. I prophesied this thing 10, 15, 20 years ago that this day was gonna come and it's still shocking to me how fast it has come. And now they're putting pastors in prison and in jails and treating them like a scum. Not being respected because they're going against the grain of the culture. I put a little post out there and I got nailed. I'd take some of the stuff off because, you know, they were cussing and stuff and they'll, they'll message me and, and, and they get mad at me because I said something that was against the culture. And they call me a homophobe and, and everything else. There are homosexuals that go to this church and I love them. And there, there, there are those that have been in this church and, they, and let me tell you something about the homosexual community. They love me. Let me tell you why they love me. Because I'm real. Let me tell you why, let me tell you why, let me tell you why there are Hispanic people other than white people. And I love, I, I love my white people too, trust me. Just because I'm black doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you too. 
I'm gonna hear, I, 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 let me just say something. Is that the reason why black people like me and Hispanic people like me, brown people? Because I'm real. I'm not trying to be something I'm not. And they love hearing the truth. But I'm not. I, love doesn't mean I don't speak truth. So let's be careful that we, we don't start throwing stones at people so fast without understanding who they really, really are and understand the, the, the body of work. So we cannot even allow that culture to be pervasive in our church. We love people, period. Always. But in that, my job is to speak the truth of God's word. And one of the things that I'll give is a, just a little a caveat is that there is a line, what time is it? Oh, my Lord, sorry about the time. We got till what, 2.30, 3.30, something like that? I, I will say that there is like a lying, deceptive spirit that has said things like, um, that, that, that have, I'll just put it this way, that are in the culture today that make us feel like if we don't, if we're not going for peace or unity, then we're not really Christians. But do you know that Jesus said, I came to bring a sword and I will bring division? Why? Because he's the light of the world. And the light does what? It exposes what's really there. It exposes to us what's really there. So what do we see? We see what, what God intends us to see. And it's not to embarrass us. It's so that we can get better. Amen. So we cannot get involved in that. And then I'm going to say this in, in, in my final remarks today. Is that God can even change the verdict that was rightfully set against you. We have Job 22, 30, it says, he will even deliver one who is not innocent. Did you hear that? God will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. God knows how dastardly we've been. He knows how destructive we've been. He knows how sinful we've been. Quit reminding him of all the bad you do. Instead, get back in the place of repentance. It's not about telling God, I did all this bad. It's about saying, Lord, I know what I've done, and I ask you to forgive me. I want your forgiveness. I want to know you. Repentance means to turn it around. You were going one direction. Now it's time to turn it around and go the right direction. Are you all following me so far? So repentance isn't a bad word or a bad thing. It's not even a thing of works. It's, what, it's a gift. The Bible calls it the, the gift of repentance. God gives us a gift to make it right with Almighty God. And the last thing here that I want to say is that Jesus was the ultimate turnaround because Jesus went to the cross for our sin and paid the penalty of death for our sin. It was the only way back to God. Life for life. That's how it works. And Jesus comes and pays the price. He now all the sin of the world is placed upon him, your sin, my sin, upon him and billions of others. And he pays the penalty. Watch this. He has to now, because of the sin, enter into hell. 
But now then, God said, but you, son, have done no wrong. You, son, are innocent. You're only paying the price for everyone else. So God turns it around. The cross was meant for death and sin, but God's intention was life and life everlasting. Somebody say amen. The forgiveness of your sin. So the power of what we're talking about today is actually put back in your hands. I know God will turn it around if I'll turn it around, if I'll repent, if I'll make it right. 